Let's open up our Bibles now together to Romans chapter 8. We'll be finishing this glorious mountaintop chapter in Scripture. Picking up where we left off last week, that'll have us beginning in verse 35, going, believe it or not, all the way through the end of the chapter. I know you wanted like eight more sermons in this chapter. There's, <laughs> I heard one voice, yes, I would have liked that. But since it is just the one, we're going to finish out the chapter this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35, hear the word of the Lord. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being, being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for this glorious truth. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you have given to us, this pure and perfect gift, this supernatural, inerrant word of God. Lord, we pray by your spirits working through your word this morning that you would accomplish all of your good purposes in us. Lord, reveal sin in our lives to us that we might turn from it by your spirit. Grant to us the gift of repentance, the desire to repent, the desire to obey. Cause worship to rise up within us. Grant to us assurance of your great salvation. Cause us to rejoice in you, our saving, keeping God. Pray, Lord, for any that don't know you this morning, that as your word is proclaimed this morning, they would be convicted by your spirit and run to the cross of Christ. And I pray for myself as I proclaim your word, that the words of my mouth, the very meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, perhaps one of the most well-known songs in all the world, certainly the most well-known Christian song has lyrics that actually first appeared as a poem in a novel written in 1869 by Anna Warner. The novel was called Say and Seal. You may not have heard of the novel, but I, I'm confident everyone in here has heard these lyrics. In, in, in the novel, it's a poem spoken by one of the main characters to comfort a young boy as he was dying. And the character speaks these simple words, this simple poem to this boy, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Well, this, this little chorus, as it became after this book was written, has affected generations of children, but not just children, adults. There's something soothing. There's something powerful about this simple truth, this simple reminder of God's unfailing love through Jesus Christ. The great missionary Donald Gray Barnhouse told this story, great pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse told this story of a Korean-American man who was enlisted some 70 years ago during the Korean War. 
And since he knew the Korean language, they put him to work in the compounds where they were keeping these communist North Korean soldiers, where they were holding them in their cells. And he was supposed to interact with them and sort of keep the peace. You can speak their language, just keep everybody calm. He'd been enlisted as a chaplain, but ended up having these duties and didn't have the first idea what to do. He knew how to speak the language, and so he got the job, and he didn't know what he was going to do. How am I going to relate to these enemies? How am I going to relate to these, these communist soldiers? But being a believer, he felt prompted to do something unusual. He began to speak to the soldiers in their own language, and they crowded around to hear what this American soldier had to say who could speak their language, and he began to teach them how to sing this chorus, Jesus Loves Me. He taught them what the words meant. And over the course of the next several months, several thousand of those soldiers put their faith in Jesus Christ. After the war, most of them refused to rejoin the Communist Party when they got to return home. Only eternity will tell the fruit of what their ministry was when they returned home. But it doesn't get any simpler than this truth. Jesus loves me. It's a simple, powerful, beautiful truth. And that's the close of Romans chapter 8, the pinnacle of this divine truth for the believer, the pinnacle of, of the glories that we have seen so far in chapter 8, the pinnacle of all that Paul has had to tell us about our need for saving, about our own depravity and wickedness and inability to save ourselves, about God's great saving love and sending his son to, to rip us out of our cemented in solidarity in Adam and condemnation and death and bring us to himself. The glories that we have seen throughout chapter 8, the pinnacle is this. It's this song of unshakable security for the believer. Jesus loves me. And in, and in this final paragraph of Romans 8, Paul is anticipating the question that's going to come from some of these statements that he has, has given about how God's love for us will never, ever fail. As we sang in, in the song just now, when all else fails, he still remains, that Jesus will be ours. And, and these questions that come, what about all the bad things then? What about all the bad things that happen in my life? What about the bad things that I do? What about all these things? Are they evidence that God has stopped loving me? And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had conversations with Christians who are examining the events of their life in the moment and concluding from that, despite what they know to be true from Scripture, that God must not love me. God must have given up on me. And Paul has something to say to these questions. Look at verse 35. How does he culminate this glorious statement he's been making in Romans chapter 8? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, these are the things that people point to when they want to explain to you how God has let them down. These are the kind of things that people point to when they say, this is why I don't love God anymore. Paul goes on, verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's quoting, of course, Psalm 44, verse 22. The note in the ESV study Bible there says that this is describing God's people suffering death at the hands of those who oppose God. And the feeling is we are sheep who have been sent out 
for the slaughter. That, that was true of God's people in the Old Testament when the sons of Korah wrote that psalm, Psalm 44. It was true in the New Testament when Paul wrote Romans. It was true under the persecution of the early church that was quickly going to follow the writing of this letter where, where these Roman Christians were going to endure great suffering under the reigns of Roman emperors Nero and Domitian, where the believers would suffer in the Roman Empire, horrific persecution. They were crucified and beheaded and burned and drowned, slaughtered in the Colosseum for sport while people cheered. Nero would impale them on stakes, cover them in pitch, light them on fire, and let them illuminate his garden parties. It's still true today when a minimum of 10,000 Christians are being killed every year for their faith. What are we supposed to think of Christ's love for us, of God's love for us in the light of all this? Well, Paul answers this question by refocusing our perspective, not on the events that are happening in the world around us, but on eternity. Look what he says in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So on the one hand, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but... What are we actually? We're more than conquerors. That's what we are. That's not usually how we think of sheep, is it? If we think about the animal kingdom, we might think of the lion as a conqueror. We might think of the elephant as some sort of conquering, triumphant, victorious animal. The, the eagle might seem victorious to us, but sheep are pretty helpless. They're not terribly victorious creatures, but notice what he says here. We're not victorious because we're sheep. We're victorious not through our own strength. The sheep are victorious through the strength of their shepherd. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's what makes us conquerors. It's not a matter of how strong or how weak the sheep is. It's a matter of how strong the shepherd is. We conquer through him. In fact, we are more than conquerors. This is a, a compound verb here that Paul uses. Hypernicomen. It's what we call uh, in Scripture a hapax legomenon. And you all know what that means. <laughs> so we'll just move on. No, it means that it's a word that's only used once. It only gets used one time. Often when that happens in Scripture, it means Paul made a word up. Uh, and it only happens one time. We don't see it anywhere else. The first part of this word is the Greek word hyper. Well, we kind of recognize that word. It's where our word hyper comes from. So when we think hyper, we think of what? Like a five-year-old who needs to cool it, right? We, all, we have kind of a, a negative connotation when we use that word, but that, that's not how it was in the Greek. It literally means above, greater than, spectacular than, super, just, just, just totally above and beyond abounding. It's the first half of the word. The second half, half of the word is nikeo. Victory. In English, we pronounce it Nike. There's a whole shoe company, a whole athletic industry uh, that is built, and it has this name. It means victory. And so for Paul here, when he's describing the victory that the believer has in Christ, just how secure are you, believer, in your salvation? Just how secure are you 
because of the loving work of Christ on your behalf, this simple word Nike, victory, is not enough for him. So he adds the word hyper in front of it. You're not just victorious, you're super victorious. Your security in Christ is not just victorious, it is super victorious. It is far above and beyond anything any enemy could ever do to try and take it away. In and through Jesus Christ, we will not only be victorious, we are victorious. And victorious, Paul says, in all things, even in those things that would cause us the greatest doubt and fear. That's a big statement Paul just made, and he's going to now demonstrate this unshakable victory as he lists for us 10 things that we might be tempted to think could separate us from Christ's love. Look now at verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul's going to give to us these, these comparisons to make his point. But the first thing he says is death. Paul points first to the great separator, death. When I am, when I am um, leading a couple through their marriage vows, as they are in the midst of their marriage covenant, this is one of the vows, until death, what? Separates us. Th- this enemy of death, it's the thing that most people fear more than anything else. Most of us, if we're honest, adults anyway, kids not. Kids do weird things because they don't think about this. <laughs> but for most of us adults, we think about death and it scares us. One of the reasons is, we don't know anybody who's done it and how it exactly felt, right? That's it for me. Like, I don't know what it feels like. Francis Bacon said, men fear death as children fear the dark. Paul says this, I am sure. I am convinced, totally convinced. I am positive. Death cannot separate the believer from God's love in Christ. And so for the believer, then, death is not the great separator. It is the grand uniter. Death only draws the believer closer into the presence of God's glory, only closer into God's everlasting love. It takes us from this world and it brings us to God, so it could never, ever, ever separate us from his love. Again, Donald Gray Barnhouse was a pastor in Philadelphia in the mid-1900s. His wife died unexpectedly, leaving him with several young children, and it was on the drive home from her funeral in the car with his kids and Barnhouse was thinking, how can I comfort these kids at a time like this? What can I say to them to give them hope? What can I say to them to encourage them as we've just buried their mother? How do I speak words of comfort to them? And the Lord provided in that moment an opportunity. At a red light, a large truck pulled up in the lane right next to them and cast its shadow completely enveloping the car. And Dr. Barnhouse asked his children, kids, would you rather be run over by a truck or the shadow of a truck? The kid said, well, Dad, that's easy. <laughs> would rather be run over by the shadow of a truck because a shadow can't hurt us. And he said this to them, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death. Death doesn't hurt. It's only a shadow as we travel on to heaven. So Paul says this of death, I am sure. I am sure. I am 
absolutely convinced death can never separate us from God's love in Christ. As someone said, death is, is only the hand that opens heaven's door. Then Paul looks at the other side of the coin as he, as he draws out, as we'll see here, these contrasting issues. So he says, death can't separate us, but neither can life. Neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God. Why life? That's where the real threat lies. Death might be frightening, but life is downright dangerous. So Paul assures the believer, nothing, absolutely nothing can happen in life that will be able to separate us from God's love for us in Christ. Even as Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's this word aeon. Paul uses that exact same word, age, that Jesus used. Paul's going to use that in Romans chapter 16 to describe our eternal God. And so Jesus is saying to his people, I will be with you always to the very end of eternity. Always, forever and ever. Matthew 28 was the, was the great life verse of the great African missionary David Livingston. And again and again in times of crisis, he would return to that verse. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And his journal bears this out. In times of great crisis in his life, he would often remind himself of this truth. He would, he would write out Matthew 8, or 28, 20 in his journal, and then he would write these words. These are the words of God, who is a gentleman of the highest and most sacred honor. So that is the end of it. Preaching this truth to himself at the most desperate moments of his life. Oh, friends, there is great peace in knowing really knowing that nothing in this life can separate us from the love of God in Christ. There, there is such peace there. How, how, how can we be so sure? How could Livingston be so sure that he would preach that truth to himself in times of crisis? Well, it's as the words of that song says, Jesus loves me, this I know. How? Because the Bible tells me so. Because God's word is True. We know that this is true because God told us it was true, and there's nothing more solid than that. Third, then, neither death nor life nor angels will be able to separate us from the love of God. Well, you might think this goes without saying. Why would angels try to separate us from the love of God? Paul is, in fact, talking about good angels here. We know that because of the contrast he makes with the next word. Neither angels nor rulers. Rulers, or some translations say principalities. These are demons, fallen angels. But here he says, the good angels can't separate you from God's love either. Is Paul suggesting that, that an angel might try to do this? Do we need to be worried about that? No, of course not. That's not, that's not what he's getting at. But what he is bringing up in this list are mysterious things. These are the things we think about that, that, that are confusing to us, that are surrounded with superstition. Things like death, things like the future, things like what life has in store for us, things like angels and demons. Many people's view on all of these things does not come from Scripture. It comes from superstitious speculation. These are the things Paul's addressing here. Rabbis of Paul's day were teaching that everything had an angel. 
Everything has an angel associated with it, connected to it. There were angels of the winds. There was angels of the clouds, angels of the thunder, angels of the lightning, angels of the cold and the heat. Everything had its own angel, so much so that every individual blade of grass had its own angel attached to it. Further, it was a common belief that even the good angels are kind of upset about God's relationship to humans. They were the top of the food chain, then God made man in his own image as this special pinnacle of creation. And the angels were a little irritated that God did this and that they were now supposed to serve us. That was a common understanding at the time. Well, of course, none of that came from Scripture. You would never read in Scripture anything that would bring you away with the idea like, I think the angels are a little irritated with us. No, it's superstition. And Paul says, look, not even an angel could affect God's love for you. Number four, Google wants in on this. I would have thought it was an angel until I heard the word Google. Just to confirmate. It's true. We like you guys. We're excited. <laughs> What's the flip side of that coin? Number four, rulers. Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers will be able to separate us from the love of God. Here, here's a word Paul uses to refer to the demonic world. He does it a few times in his letters, Ephesians 6, Colossians 2. So, okay, death can't separate us, life can't separate us, angels can't separate us. Surely, these supernatural demonic forces could. Paul says, I am sure. I'm 100% convinced they cannot. Well, why, why not? Paul tells us the why not in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 13, he says this, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers. That's the same word. And the authorities put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How can Paul be so sure that these supernatural demonic entities that are called rulers, authorities, in other words, human being more powerful than you are. How can Paul say they are no threat whatsoever to the believer? How, how, how can he say that? It's because of this. The cross of Christ disabled any eternal threat that they may pose to us, to the believer. The rulers, the, the principalities, the demonic world has no power whatsoever over the believer. It could never separate us from the love of Christ. I got a call a number of years ago from, from someone. I was teaching a class at Bethel, and my classes would go to like 10 p.m., and so it's super late when I get home, and I get this call and get this voicemail, hey, call me back, and I, I call the guy on the break, and it's a guy I hadn't talked to in a few years, and he says, Jason, my house is haunted. Do you think you could come over? I said, well, I'm teaching a class. It's going to be 1130 by the time I could get to your house, but yeah, I can come over there. And he's like, everybody in our family seeing it. All kinds of stuff is happening. I've, it's haunted. And you'll come. I said, yeah, I'll, come. I'll be there. It'll be about 1130 if you'll still be up. He said, okay. So I said, I got to tell you, though, I don't believe in ghosts because <laughs> uh, I'm a Christian. I do, however, believe in demons. And your problem is you're not a believer. 
So despite what horror movies have told you, I don't think I'm going to just come over and cleanse your house for you. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to come over, but I'm not sure we're going to make any progress unless you're ready to turn from your sin and trust in Christ and walk in obedience to him. And he's, he told me, never mind. So I don't know whatever happened with their ghost. Maybe they'll make a movie about it someday. Oh, the unbeliever should have much to fear from the supernatural demonic realm, but not so for the believer. They have no power over us. They have been disarmed by the cross of Christ. As Martin Luther said, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we what? We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Fifth and sixth, then, he moves on. Things present, things to come. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come will be able to separate us from the love of God. Paul continues with these contrasting pairs to show beyond any shadow of a doubt. Why is Paul doing these contrasts? It's to show us there's no wiggle room here in any of this. Nothing will ever separate the one who is in Christ from the love of God. So he says, there's nothing in the present that could do that, and there's nothing waiting for you around the corner in your future that's going to be able to do that. Nothing will ever or could ever erase your secure position as God's beloved child. Friends, that's good news. And and it's news that we're tempted not to believe. We're sure there's all kinds of things that are going to trip us up and trick us into perhaps falling out of God's good grace. We've been hidden in Christ, but somehow we think something's going to happen and we're going to just slip right out. It's a fear that many Christians live with. In this time that we're living in right now, I've heard so many Christians talking about how the vaccine for COVID might be just such a thing. I've had phone calls from people asking me, and they beat around the bush, and I just say, you mean, is it the mark of the beast? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is this vaccine the mark of the beast? Let me just tell you, the answer is, No, it is absolutely not. Do you think God would make it so easy for you to damn your eternal soul by trying to get a vaccine? And if you think that that's the God of the Bible, you should just start in Genesis and start over, listen real close every Sunday morning, because that's not who our God is. But we live like that. We live with this fear that there's something waiting around the corner and it might cause me to fall right out of good standing with God. The good standing, by the way, that's not based on your merit because your merit's awful. It's based on Christ's merit. But we think that way and we fear and we worry about the future and Paul says, no, 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 beloved child of God. Not things present, not things to come. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He moves on. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers will be able to separate us from the love of God. Paul Paul breaks now with his pairs of contrasts and adds just this singular thought in. There are no powers that can destroy us either. Literally, the word sort of means energy. This word power in Greek is dunamis. It's the same word that's used in in Acts chapter 8. Applied to Simon the magician. Simon was said to have great supernatural power. It's the same word. 
Paul says, not only do the demons not have any power over you, nothing that's empowered by them has any power over you anyway. No mystical energy, no force, no any of that has any power over the believer. There is no supernatural power ever, anywhere, that could ever separate the believer from Christ. No curse, no spell, no sorcery, no bewitchment could ever cause the believer to fall from God's love. Here's what that means for us. We, we might need to spell some of these things out because we live in an Amish community. And they are very superstitious people. And we are very superstitious people. Here's what it means. No need to fear Friday the 13th. Good. No need to worry if a black cat crosses your path. If you break a mirror, you're going to be okay unless you cut yourself on it. If you walk under a ladder, you haven't done any damage to yourself. If you spill salt at lunch today, you don't need to throw it in any particular direction. (laughs) Bad things, friends, do not happen in threes. It's, It's superstitious. It's nonsense. We could go on all day long because we are a very superstitious people. In, 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 in China, they believe the number four is a cursed number. And so they don't, they don't have it on license plates. And if you have it as part of your cell phone, they will actually compensate you a little bit. Their buildings don't have a fourth floor. And we might think that's really dumb and wow, what a weird superstitious people. But tell me the last time you were on the 13th floor of a building. You weren't because they don't have them. It'd be the rare building that did. Why not? Because everybody knows 13 is an unlucky number, so no hotels have a 13th floor. No buildings have them. So Paul says, no superstition, no power anywhere, none of these things, even if they were all true, and none of them are true, even if they were, none of them could separate us from your super victorious position in the love of God. No power anywhere. None of these things. There is no supernatural power that has any authority over the believer in Christ. Now, that, we, we are explicitly told in Scripture not to tamper with supernatural powers, are we not? So I'm not saying rush home from here and go, get your, go to your local toy store or Walmart and buy a Ouija board. They will sell them to you in the toy section. Don't do that. We're commanded not to do that sort of thing, but we need not fear. We need not fear. God is the creator, the sustainer, the protector, the designer, the overseer, and is completely sovereign over all things. There is no opposing force outside of his command that can do anything to you because he is the one who upholds all things. All things, supernatural or otherwise, must bow their knee before him. So, Christian, you need not fear. Verse 39, Paul makes one more contrast. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth will be able to separate us from the love of God. The Greek words Paul uses here are are astrological terms. Height refers to that time when the star is at its zenith, where its influence is considered to be at its greatest point. 
Depth refers to the time when the star was at its lowest and it was just waiting to rise and cast its influence over those who were born under it. Again, it's superstitious thinking. It's the kind of superstitious thinking that informs the casting of the horoscope. Somehow the alignment of the planets and stars when a person is born has some measure of power or influence over them or their future. The ancient world was devoted to that kind of pagan superstition, but our modern world is no different. It's not even different stuff. It's all the same old stuff that that everyone's always been doing. New Age spirituality, witchcraft, crystals, tarot cards, astrology are all as popular as they have ever been right now. In fact, in the younger generations, they are positively enamored with these things. Your your 25 and under grandkids and kids, the odds are they, or at very least their friends, are super into this stuff. Super into the crystals and the tarot cards and It resurges in every generation. And here's what Paul says to the believer. None of these things has any power over you. He caps it off then with this final statement. For I'm sure that neither life, or neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, there's two categories. There is God who created all things, and literally everything else goes in the other category called creation. The triune God, everything else. Angels, demons, the things that we see, the things that we don't see. It's all in that category. So how secure are you, Christian? Paul wants you to know this. God wants you to know this. That's why Paul wanted you to know it. In case I missed anything, Paul says, in these pairs he's been giving us to show us there's no wiggle room, this covers everything. Everything in creation. How secure is the Christian's salvation? 100% eternally secure. Everything in creation. Now your mind might be working right now, trying to think, because maybe you've heard it's not secure. And you've heard weird straw man attacks of anyone who might claim it is. Any honest reading of what Paul said here would put that thinking in opposition to him, number one. But number two, he gives us no wiggle room on this. This is what God does for the one who is in Christ. He keeps us in Christ. So it doesn't mean we're living these sinful lives rejecting God and somehow God still has to to take us. That's not what it means. It means we persevere in the faith because he keeps us in Christ by his spirit. He won't let go of us. What a reminder, what a security that is. What a joy that is. Since God created everything that there is, there is nothing that exists that could possibly separate the believer from the love of God. There is nothing. God created all of it. All of it is working towards his good purposes. 
And it cannot separate us from the love of God. In fact, it's all designed for our good. Isn't that what Paul told us earlier in Romans? All things. Not only are they not working against your salvation, Christian, they're working for it. The good things, the bad things, they're all working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Such that nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. And notice how Paul ends this song of assurance. From the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is where our security lies. The love of God isn't just some principle. It's not just some feeling that God has towards you that can ebb and flow, that it can be there one day but not be there in the end. The love of God is a person. It's not this ethereal feeling from God. It is fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. You can bank on it. You can depend on it. You can be fully assured of it. Friends, let this word from God fill you with confidence. Let it fill you with hope. You are eternally secure if you are in Christ because God the Father Almighty, the creator of everything, sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live and to die for you because the Spirit of God has united you to Christ such that now nothing can separate you from his everlasting, comprehensive, sovereign love. There is no better news than that. There is no more hopeful news than that. Let me just close by some of the final words of the great Charles Spurgeon as he lay on his deathbed and loved ones gathered near to his side. He said this, As time has passed on, my theology has grown more and more simple. It is simply this, Jesus loves me. What a glorious and profound truth that is. Amen? pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your love. That, that you have loved us in Christ, we who are undeserving, we who are unworthy, and yet through the perfection of your Son, you have counted us worthy. We need not fear, we need not look on our own merits and and tremble with fear and anxiety before you. Instead, we run to the cross of Christ where, where any, any opposing force has been disarmed, where our victory made complete. We, we rest in that cry of victory from the cross. It is finished, and we, re, we rest and rejoice in the finished work of Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. We rejoice in, in your promise to keep us in you. We rejoice in your indwelling Holy Spirit who conforms us to the likeness of Christ such that our lives bear fruit that testifies that we belong to you. We pray, Lord, that we would bear greater fruit. We pray, Lord, that we would have increasing faithfulness. I pray specifically for, Lord, any that are hearing these words that don't know you. They're not in Christ. Likely they've come here today thinking they are. I pray for that one, Lord, that by your Spirit, in your great 
love, and mercy, you would convict them right now. Cause them to see their desperate condition and their great need for you. That you would grant to them the gifts of repentance and saving faith, that they would run to Christ even now, even in this moment, and be saved. Lord, we thank you for your great salvation and your unshakable promises to us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.